Hakimi does well to win this one. Plays it inside. What a flick from Marco Royce. Sancho, still Sancho, plays it out wide for Gutsa. 3-0. Absolutely superb for Borussia Dortmund. Royce, it opens up again for Marco Royce. Ball out wide, looking for Guerrero. It's four. Sancho finding Witzel, opens up for Witzel. From this dance, in off the post. Hello all and welcome to episode 265 of the Yellow Pods. I'm your host Stefan Butzko for yet another weekly edition of our Borussia Dortmund show. And for that uh, I welcome the one and only Matthias Zuck. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, well aside from this nasty chest cold, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm surviving, I'm surviving. So please excuse any coughing or my voice failing as we continue talking. Yeah, parts of the US are hit very hard with uh, a polar vortex. How is it going on in Denver, Colorado? Um, it is sunshine and uh, 50 degrees Fahrenheit, so 10 degrees Celsius. It's a beautiful bluebird day in Colorado. Wonderful. Yeah, it's 19 degrees Fahrenheit in Philadelphia. So, um, yeah. But let's move on. We have a lot of things to discuss. Um, but before uh, I give a little rundown about that, I want to thank the uh, Bristol Dortmund Fan Club, London and Bob Erhardt for contributing on our Patreon page, which you can find on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. Thanks, guys, for chipping in. It's very much appreciated. And now, Matthias, of course, we are recording this on deadline day. And uh, while the uh, Bundesliga transfer window is shut and we now know that no additional players will come, there might be a couple of announcements of players still leaving the club. We don't know yet uh, what's going on there. Um, Jeremy Tolian, for example, still might join Celtic or not. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but there are a couple of news and I thought we would discuss that in general before we talk about the 5-1 victory against Hanover and then obviously preview the next Bundesliga match away to Eintracht Frankfurt and the cup game against Werder Bremen, which will happen next week, midweek. Um, so, yeah, I think the biggest news from the whole deadline day or, or January transfer window for Borussia Dortmund is, I guess, um, apart from... I guess the, the announcement that Christian Pulisic joined Chelsea. Um, is Chiji Kagawa joining Istanbul now on the last day? And uh, apparently, in the end, it was between Hanover 96 and Besiktas Istanbul. So, Matthias, um, are you as heartbroken as I am that uh, a yeah, great player like Shinji Kagawa did not find a better place to, to go while he was uh, yeah ignored by Lucien Favre? I really, really do. Um, obviously, he was a key figure in the two great years under Jürgen Klopp, uh, or won the double, of course, before he went to Manchester United, where it didn't quite work out, came back, had a good impact at all. One didn't quite go back to the Shinji of old, um, but still played very, very well. And for some reason, under uh, Lucien Favre, it's just not, didn't work out. Um, for once, I actually watched um, Doppelpass because they had the entire episode on YouTube and they had Raphael Honigstein and Sebastian Kehl on it. So I figured there are at least two people there that know what they're talking about. And uh, Sebastian Kehl was obviously asked about it, you know, and he said, you know, we would never force a player out, especially not a player 
as esteemed and who's done so much for the club as Shinji Kagawa, but for one reason or another, he just isn't in the plans of the manager. And, you know, he, he said it, you could tell he was a little, little saddened by it because obviously he played with Shinji Kagawa. Um, but it, it was very matter of fact in the statement. And I, I, I think only Lucien Favre can answer why as a number 10 option, especially now playing a 4-2-3-1 again, which is the system under which um, Kagawa flourished under Klopp. He never really got a chance. I have, personally, I have no idea. Uh, even the few times he did play, he actually played quite well. So it's it's a shame to see him go. It's a shame that he's going to Besiktas. Nothing against the Turkish League, but I would have expected a a more prominent club out of I know he wanted to go to Spain. That was his choice. Uh, Sebastian Kiel actually also confirmed that, that he wanted to go to Sevilla, but it didn't work out. Um, so it's kind of odd that nobody else in Spain came forward. Uh, he actually, I think, would have fit in Italy quite well, um, but it didn't work out there either. And then Hanulfa, of course, was an absolute no-go. Uh, that that would have been – that was just a bizarre, bizarre thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad because – the the qualities of Shinji Kagawa are very apparent to any long-time Borussia Dortmund fan because he was very much, the, I don't want to say centerpiece, but in, in these double years, double winning years, um, he was a player that really carried the team. And uh, his story was so great just because he joined for 350,000 euros way back then and uh, nobody quite knew what to expect of him and Dortmund sort of took a game before that very little money and then it turned out to be a huge hit and uh, I always thought that joining Manchester United was a detrimental idea because um, Shinji Kagawa was on path to become a world-class midfielder and I think joining back then it was Luis van Gaal right in uh, well no still Alex Ferguson it was still Alex Ferguson just prior to the wonderful David Moyes era. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um and and then uh Shinji Kagawa yeah played in left mid midfield and, and stuff like that, but was not really used as a player like he should have been. Um not really utilized well at all by Manchester United and while he had a couple of good games he never really showed the consistency. And I think the same can be somewhat said for his uh, time after returning back to Dortmund, um, or, or the time where where he, uh, yeah, sort of had his ups and downs since since returning. And I thought most of it was injury related, um, because every time Shinji Kagawa was up and coming, and and like on on a verge to really uh, cementing his his spot in the starting lineup, he had like a really niggly injury that kept him out again, which is uh, rather sad. And then of course uh, he also never managed to to carry his good form uh, throughout like a like a break, either summer or winter break that was also worrying. Um, but nevertheless, um, yeah. A really, really good player that can help a lot of teams as a number 10. And as you just said, it's a bit of a head-scratcher why he does not feature more prominently in Favre's plans. Um, when Marco Reus is not um, playing, Favre has put on Maximilian Philipp in that hole, which is something I don't quite understand. 
and at least not when you have Shinji Kagawa at your disposal. So I, I'm sad to say I don't really have all the answers here um, that Kagawa wanted to leave. I think is logical with the lack of playing time and amount of talent he really has at his disposal. And I am glad that he only joins Besiktas on loan until the end of the season, which means that he can still find a better club next summer, which I think is quite important. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if we, if we revisit the subject, but, um, I think Shinji Kagawa is a very, um, yeah, prominent player in Borussia Dortmund's history. And, uh, one way or another, it's very sad to see him leave, especially under the circumstances that, uh, his talents are very ris- disregarded. Um, I think even this season he has uh, helped whenever he played. Um, I mean, he's still a very intelligent player when it comes to counter-pressing, uh, lest we forget. And especially um, he had a key part uh, under Peter Sugar until he picked up an injury last season in Dortmund, actually claiming that fourth spot over Bayer Leverkusen, which is uh, yeah still very crucial in the overall development of Dortmund because, uh, you know, if they played Europa League, I don't think they could have acquired talent like Axel and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, let's move on maybe a little bit quicker. Um, news that uh, Genius Bonic joining Dynamo Dresden uh, on loan until the end of the season. And um, I think that's a very good move for him. We all know that he's very talented, but also uh, no, not really having a chance of, of finding playing time in Dortmund's first team. And uh, yeah, it's... So he he needs to be elsewhere. Um, didn't really go well for him or that well at, at Stuttgart. Um, but Matthias, I, I think it's good that he pursues the loan option. The same, I guess, can be said for Amos Pieper, who just needs to make the next step now at Bielefeld. Well, we've been kind of waiting for the next step with Dennis Bonic now for a few seasons, it seems. So, uh, obviously, as a Münsteraner, I'm not overly pleased with him going to Arminia Bielefeld. Uh, I guess <laughs> I guess it's still better than Osnabrück. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll take it. I would have loved to have seen him at Poison Münster. We could have used him. But anyway, um, that being said, I think it'll it'll help. He'll definitely get more playing time than at Stuttgart. And so that can, that can only help. Um, as it's discussed so many times, practicing with a squad and having a good coach is great, but nothing prepares you and advances your development as much as actually playing. So hopefully, you know, something will come of this and he doesn't fall into the, I guess, into the, the same category as, Players like um, Ginchek were for Dortmund, where it's just one lone spell after another, and then finally it's like, okay, it's just just not going to work out. He's very, very talented. I think he could do something for Dortmund, uh, hopefully sooner rather than never. Yeah, and if not, he will probably become a very solid player for maybe Gladbach or so at some point. Um, if if it's not the top tier of uh, you know ceiling that that is, I guess, required to to secure a spot in Borussia Dortmund's midfield and maybe somewhere else but um you know for for now we can all be hopeful and um yeah wish him good luck at Dresden um yeah and then of course something we will talk maybe a bit later about but uh Sebastian Rode joined Eintracht Frankfurt on loan and uh, it seems to be going well he has played uh 
right away in the starting lineup in the first two games. So, um, yeah, maybe they will try to purchase him in the summer. Uh, but we'll see very close next Saturday how Sebastian Rode is doing in Frankfurt. And then, of course, um, Matthias, Julian Weigel has been very open about wanting to join PSG, but uh, Dortmund did uh, block that transfer request, let's put it this way. Um, do you think that's... Um, Sensible choice by Dortmund because of their shortage at center back and given how well Julian Weigel has done, or do you think this will bite them in the ass later when Julian Weigel is not useful to them anymore and they try to sell him and will not find anyone interested as, you know, and willing to pay as much as, as PSG certainly would have? No, I think it's it's definitely the right decision at the time, given, like you said, the lack of depth, simply because of injuries. I mean, don't want to have enough center backs. It's just bad luck that basically everyone's hurt. Um, I don't think it's a big risk because there will still be enough takers in the summer if he still wants to go at that point in time. Um, and okay, maybe nobody will pay what PSG were willing to pay right now. But maybe they will. I mean, PSG don't care about FFP. Um, they've got plenty of money. And as long as Thomas Tuchel is still the manager, he'll still be interested in the player. Uh, Sebastian Kiel also talked about that and also mentioned that, that Julian Weiga, you know, wanted to go and it's just not going to happen. And Dalton need that cover. And he's playing exceptionally well as center back. And I'll be honest, I'm surprised at just how well he's playing in that role. Well, we always knew that Julian Weigel is an exceptional talent and uh, that he can do a lot of things with that. Uh, but we also, at the same time, weren't really sure if what he can do is still something that Dortmund want from him, that Lucien Favre wants from him. Peter Bosch certainly did not find a way to really uh, utilize him. But um, yeah, it's it's good that he has found a new spot at centre-back and it's working quite well for him. But the question obviously is, once Dan Axel Zagadou returns from injury, whether uh, you know Julian Weigel will sit on, on the bleachers again and uh, how that battle with uh, Ömer Toprak will pan out too. So still a lot of question marks about consistent playing time for him as the season will go on but so far uh, he has certainly impressed and by the way he has uh, managed to um, yeah increase Dortmund's already pretty good uh, way to play from the back uh, has had too so um, there's that but nevertheless quite interesting how how um, yeah serious that transfer rumor was and of course It's also a sign that Dortmund means serious business this season and will not take any chances um, on letting players go that could, you know, interfere with their chance of winning the the uh, championship, which is uh, makes it to me even more alarming for Shinji Kagawa because they are willing to let him go, I guess. Um, but they have so much depth in that position that, uh, yeah, it's sensible, I, I guess, because. If if push came to shove, you could still play Christian Pulisic, for example, in that position, or Mario Götze, or I think even Mahmoud Ahut or so. So Dortmund would have that covered or could tweak their system a little bit to a 4-3-3 or so that you have more like two number eight players or whatever. Anyway, um, enough rambling on, on that part. On uh, last Saturday, Dortmund broke or equaled, I'm not entirely sure, a new record. 48 points after 19 match days is, I think, uh, best uh, 
for Dortmund at this point of the season and a record that uh, did not really impress Lucien Favre, at least on the outside. He, you know, says they are just going from game to game. And Hanover, as a consequence from that 5-1 Schelecking, uh, fired Andre Breitenreiter and hired Thomas Doll. So before we talk about that game, um, on a scale from 1 to 3,000, how uh, ridiculous is that overall decision-making by Hanover to fire their coach on the second day after the winter pause and then hiring the uh, <laughs> infamous Thomas Doll? Uh, 3,000? Um, if, if that's, if that's the max as ridiculous as goes. Um, I had tweeted it out after it, it came out that it was Thomas Dolly that obviously a lot of our listeners and a lot of international Borussia Dortmund fans only became supporters of the club a few years after Thomas Dolly was let go and, and after Jurgen Klopp took over. So many don't remember the direness of the Thomas Doll era in Dortmund. Yes, made a cup final. Whoopi ding dong. Lost. <laughs> Actually didn't play poorly in that final, uh, even though they were grossly outmatched for, by Bayern, uh, losing in extra time, I believe it was. Um, but uh, Thomas Doll, yeah, he did well in Hungary. <clears throat> but again, it's the Hungarian League. No offense to the Hungarian League, but the Hungarian League is not the Bundesliga. Um, and he was best known in Dortmund, obviously, for his rant, uh, his press conference rant uh, that he had. If you don't know what it is, just look on YouTube. You can find it pretty easily. Um, and to me, it's stupid. I, I think Andre, Andre Breitenreiter is a good coach. I don't think he's a great manager. Uh, I don't think you'd put him in the upper echelon of, of Bundesliga managers, but he's always been able, except for his time at Schalke, but then again, Schalke is its own worst enemy. He's always been able to do a lot with a little. I mean, think of Paraborn, what he did with them, which, which was exceptional. The, what he was able to do with Hannover last season, uh, was exceptional. And this season, it's just not, it's a second Bundesliga squad, uh, at his disposal at best. With a million injuries. With so, yeah, so many injuries and so many issues. Honestly, I don't understand how you can fire Breitenreiter and not fire Horst Held the same day. Um, I feel bad. I've got a few Hannover fans, friends. I feel bad for them. Um, as far as uh, Kint goes and what he's tried to do to German football and that club, yeah, I, I almost feel like it's it would be a deserved relegation at this point. Obviously, knowing there's still a lot of football left, they're only a point away from safety at this point, uh, I think, or they're a point away from the relegation playoffs, whatever it is. Which is basically <clears throat> safety. Which is basically safety. Um, well, I don't know <laughs> the way they're playing. Um, so yeah, but they're, they're looking, it's looking pretty bad. It's an idiotic decision. Um, if you're going to sack your manager, you should have done what Leverkusen did was before the winter break. So you at least have a winter break to work with your players and bringing in someone like Thomas Doyle, it kind of shows how few coaches really wanted to deal with Helt and Kint and the situation at that club right now. I mean, if we're on a uh, short list of coaches that Hanover could potentially appoint, I think Mirko Slomka was on there as well, um, wasn't all that prominent to begin with. So um, I, I think it's a very unthankful job to coach Hanover to to the first place. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, Thomas Doyle 
sees that as like an entry point to to basically be a Bundesliga coach again because I don't think there are many other clubs that would even offer him a position. So um, yeah, maybe we'll we'll start with uh, that game. Um, then actually, um, Dortmund obviously with a you know very prominent scoreline, and I think that was pretty much predictable. Um, Dortmund opened the scoring with a really great strike by Achraf Kimi from distance after a really nice combination play with Rafael Guerrero. Um, Hakimi may be a candidate for man of the match in, in, in this game, certainly. Um, but even though they took the lead after 24 minutes um, and until really the floodgates gates opened after the hour mark, I thought Dortmund had a really lackluster performance. Hanover weren't too shabby. I think even outscored them in terms of shots at, at halftime at least. Um, so... I mean, in the end, it's three points, new records and and all that. But uh, I think Marco Reus said it after the game as well, that uh, if they play with the energy level they played against Hanover, they will not win too many games. And I very much agree. So, Hanno uh, uh, Matthias, what are your takeaways from, from this game and uh, and how Dortmund played? Well, I mean, uh, the first real chance at goal came from Hanover. Um, pretty early on. I, I can't remember it was seventh minute or something like that. Roman Bürki with a great save. Hanofa should have been given a penalty. Yes. Uh, I mean, stone cold penalty. I have no idea why they didn't get one. And that would have been the equalizer. And who knows how the match would have gone from then because it's almost like once that second goal then finally came in, they just fell, absolutely fell to pieces and, and couldn't stop Dortmund for want or anything. Um, so it was Dortmund, a, the hottest team in the Bundesliga. You could maybe argue the hottest team in Europe, uh, taking apart one of the most fragmented, patchworked crisis teams in the Bundesliga <laughs> and in all of Europe. So predictable scoreline. I don't think it was flattering for Dortmund. I think... Um, That's that's what the match was. Took a little bit for Dortmund to get going, but you know Breitenreiter does know how to set up his teams uh, well, and they just fell apart. I mean, the goal is you can't turn to Breitenreiter and say, "Oh, what did you do?" Because some of that was just poor play at I the mean, end of the day. And Dortmund played exceptionally well to score those goals in in those ten minutes, basically. Yeah, I mean, but this is this is also maybe the quality of a top team. You know, I don't want to harp too much on Dortmund here for, for playing the way they did because it was understandable. Everyone uh, at the World Pod panel in the prediction game had them in like a double digits. <laughs> so um, it's it's only natural that after, um, you know, such a high stakes game away to Leipzig where, where you really go to your limit and beyond that against Hanover and you look at the table that you might not um, play to your highest capabilities and, and maybe also preserve some energy i mean it's in professional sport you know you always talk about how you know you must have that hunger and greed but i think there are still a couple of several shades and, and hanover is certainly playing uh you know to to keep their coach maybe or, or whatever they were doing or just straight up survival so it's not like the easiest game but then again um Dortmund also just needs you know, to, to shift into like two gears further for 10 minutes and, and the, the cake is eaten, so to speak. So, um, 
I I guess that's the 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 biggest takeaway here is that um, you know even if Do uh, Hanover had gotten their rightful penalty after Delaney stepped on uh, Zerensen or, or Z what's his name Zarenren. Bansi? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Noah Joel Zarenren Basé. <laughs> I don't even know if that's true. Um, then, uh, yeah, it, it would have been a, a fifth booking for Delaney and he would have missed against Frankfurt by now. He can play that game. So there's that. But I still even had Hanover equalized or even taken the lead early on. I still think, uh, it would have been enough for Dortmund to, to come back or, you know, just win this game one way or another. And, uh, Yeah, I, I guess the moment of the game really was when Hakimi pressed Albonos like in his own box and uh, it was a weird ball for Albonos to control. It was very long in the air and that gave Hakimi the time to, to read the situation and really play and then uh, yeah, pass it over to Marco Ross, who I think had a very um, intelligent dink over the defender's legs and the ball just basically bundled into the goal. But you know, after that 2-0, it, it was done and then it was just nice to see uh, Dortmund start, start to have fun and uh, Mario Götze finishing that uh, really intelligent pass from uh, Jaden Sancho and then, of course, Rafael Guerrero became, I think, the 17th different goal scorer after a very similar pass from, from Marco Reus as we've previously seen from uh, Jaden Sancho and then uh, there was this uh, little moment of absolute rage for Roman Bürki when Marvin Bacalot scored in the 86th minute <laughs> which uh, yeah was a deflection and I, I guess can happen when you funnel up and uh, Axel Witzel then managed to uh, score a very beautiful goal from distance against the inside of the post. I don't think there are too many takeaways from, from this game other than that uh, Hakimi is uh, sometimes excellent. Um, but I wouldn't go as far as saying that uh, he is uh, better than Lukas Piszczek right now, who I think is stopful for the uh, game against Frankfurt. What's your assessment on, on him? He has uh, also gotten a c couple of headlines because I think Dortmund want to prime lose from Real Madrid sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, um, and and I it, there was a lot. This again, I, I always hack on Doppelpass because it's usually just bull crap, and I don't care what a comedian thinks about football personally. But it depends on the panel, but day, yeah, invited guests. But yeah, maybe this but, one was not so bad. This one was really, really good, especially because Sebastian Kia was very open, talked about a lot of things, and talked about Hakimi, of course, um, and talked about how much work they've had to do with him in to stick to his defensive responsibilities, because his natural inclination is to attack, as we always see, and his biggest weakness is defensively. And he said, well, we uh, we've had to do a lot of work with him, you know, saying, oh, wow, okay. Um, and that shows, again, how little we know what actually goes on in there. Um, but what it does show is that Hakimi, you know, last season, the last few seasons, not just a Dortmund, but in general, there seems to be a lack of good, let alone very good or excellent fullbacks in world football right now, which is weird given how many fullbacks we need in world football these days, given how important they've become also in a build-up and an attacking sense. I mean, it's a very um, complex position, right? You need to move inside to cover for the... For the uh, center backs, you need to move up front and dribble inside and, and cross and, and do all these different tasks and uh, at the same time also run your lung out every single game. So I can understand why um, with a position that, you know, requires that 
complexity and it's not really um you know appreciated in in, in football that it's it's not uh, easy to find like star players for that and yeah i guess yeah. The, the biggest stars in that position are usually the ones that also excel attacking you know offensively like uh, like uh, marcelo for example yeah and and yeah and the the position has evolved 10 years ago is probably the simplest position on a football pitch because they were asked or even 15 20 years ago for sure they weren't asked to do much they were asked to put in some crosses um and defend and they had a a sideline next to them so they only had to worry about one side of them whereas a central defender has to worry about everything all the time uh, and i think gary neville actually talked about that it was the easiest position was to play fullback <clears throat> but that we're going back into the 90s and early 2000s and now it's evolved so dramatically but i agree i think Lu lucas pischek is the more well-rounded of the two but that's also due to his age and he's played it longer um, I have no major concerns putting Hakimi on the right and Schmelza on the left against Frankfurt. Frankfurt are dangerous in an attacking sense. Uh, they're, they're front three, but I think both those players can deal with it. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned. Um, it's funny how if we go back a year or two, everybody was worried about our depth at fullback and now we're just worried about our depth at center back. Well, again, we weren't really worried about the death at center back to begin with. I mean, that's, that's just because of injuries, though. Like, the, the fullback depth concern was legit because after Lukas Piszczek and Marcel Schmetzer, there really wasn't anyone who you were confident in relying on, like, throughout the whole season. Like, for example, Jeremy Tolia, another player where I was like, yeah, great, he's going to be a complete help and Eric Durm you can say the same about him simply because of his injury woes um that that hampered him through a very long time so um yeah i think for the first time it's it's really comf comforting to have someone and uh, i think the experiment with Myers Wolf as right back is, is more or less successful too so if need be i, I think he can play in that position too Really, so um, I'm a little bit less worried, but obviously if Lukas Piszczek and Marcel Schmetzer both are out injured and maybe we have that whole thing with Diallo or Guerrero playing as, as left back again, then I'm also not, uh, you know, in, in complete comfort, to be honest. So, um, you know, depth is always relative, so um, let's, let's uh, keep it this way. But uh, certainly um, very nicely done by him to also move on to the inside a little bit more every now and then and of course um i don't i think it was mario Götze's goal where his overlapping run really opened up the the space for Götze and for sancho to to play that pass so um you know he is gaining footballing iq i think visibly and that is what makes everyone happy because lucien favre and the coaching staff at dortmund managed to find a way to actually educate him as um, I think Sebastian Kiel has you know revealed in, in Doppelpass without uh, you know going by your word now so um, that's very positive for Dortmund and also I guess very positive for the player himself because he is seeing that uh, the feedback that he's getting in the coaching uh, actually helps him to become a better player and that's always a very good argument for everyone if they want to stay at a certain club so um, you know so much for that. And uh, Lars and I, of course, talked about um, the importance of uh, Rafael Guerrero on the last episode. And I think we've seen it 
a little bit confirmed yet again um, because he, in my mind, had another pretty good game. Um, so since uh, you had no chance to chime in last uh, week, what are you making of uh, Rafael Guerrero's uh, yeah, rise back to strength? Um, it's great to see. It's like he's got a, a, what is this now? His second spring, third spring. I don't know, <laughs> but he's definitely come back into his own. He's not playing centrally. He's playing out on the wing. Um, whereas under Tuchel, of course, he played more centrally and he's playing extraordinarily well. I'd say this is, this is the best Rafael Guerrero we've seen at Borussia Dortmund. Knock on wood that he stays healthy because obviously that's been his biggest issue as well is staying healthy. Uh, and it just gives Dortmund more options. I mean, more options to the point that, you know, the, the lone E, Christian Pulisic, is just not even a discussion. It's not even a topic anymore. You know, when you've got, uh, Royce and Sancho and Guerrero healthy, they're going to play because they're the hot hand. They're the ones that are playing well. Brun Larsen has to watch at this point as well. Um, Versus playing because Guerrero's better than Brun Larsen at this point. Uh, I think Brun Larsen still has a great career ahead of I mean, him. Guerrero is also 25 years old. Like, correct. He is very experienced at this point in, in comparison. So, you know, it's it's not like he is he's a young and up-and-coming player. He's already close. I don't want to say... Yeah, maybe he is close to his prime, maybe two, three years away from that. And, uh, I mean, when he joined Dortmund... I still thought of him as a talent. I don't think he has progressed that much because due to so many injuries. But at the same time, he is also not you know a young blood anymore. Yeah, he's he's in that good age. If he stays healthy, his best years are like you said, two three years ahead of him. And look where Michael Royce is right now. Uh, this is probably the best Michael Royce we've seen um, overall. Um, so it's great to see. It adds even more depth in an attacking and creative sense to this Dortmund side, which fills should fill every Dortmund supporter's heart with confidence moving ahead through the season. Yeah, and especially should fill every heart of the opposing coach with fear and distraught because um, making up a plan where you take care of Guerrero, Royce and Sancho at the same time is extremely difficult. Especially when you also have to concern yourself with uh, Mario Götze, who is turning more and more into a menace, or Paco Alcázar, who is also um, not a very easy player to defend against, and also very elusive. And you know, if you look at the average positioning of of Guerrero and, and Sancho, they are both very central because they move around a lot, switching positions and and all that sort of thing. So it's it's uh, quite entertaining how yeah really flexible Dortmund is with their front four while you have you know a lot of cover with Delaney and Witzel in behind you can just you know let these guys roam and then you know with the support of a fullback like Hakimi there's just uh, so much different ways Dortmund can score and hurt other teams this season it's it's just unbelievable and I mean we have talked about the um the set piece prowess, which has helped Dortmund obviously a lot this season too, but just the the different um, schemes you see in, in the way Dortmund create goals, um, 
is is just um, amazing and also that you see certain patterns just repeat themselves just because the players really know what to do have the awareness of of what kind of runs to make and it's just so hard to defend that they know they can do it twice or thrice to the same opponent in the same game and that's uh yeah it's really nice to watch because um you know traditionalists of the L world pod know i'm a fan of the word automatism and um, I don't want to go as far as saying they have like certain routines where they know exactly which runs to make, but at the same time, um, their creative flow and 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 whatnot is really bringing uh, a certain level of of synergy, um, which is just beautiful to watch. Because to me, that's uh, the biggest strength of Dortmund. It's not like at any given point a player like Sancho, for example, can just create something by himself, but just the the combination play and the level of combination play, the pace it has and the precision precision at some point is is just awesome and breathtaking and is uh, making this season especially a very you know fun season to watch. And I think the 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 best part about it is Dortmund while having so many great attacking uh, yeah prowess about themselves. They are not you know <laughs> open at the back at all they have that Lucien Favre balance to themselves which helps them to have I think right now this is the second best defense in the league um so that's that's just great overall to to talk about but at the same time we also saw how quickly it, it can deteriorate when uh both Delaney and Axel Witzel not have their best games and I think that certainly happened against Hanover and I'm excited to see what will happen against Frankfurt and Bremen? Uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, 2-2 draw between Frankfurt and Bremen on the weekend, which was the top spiel, but that game was very entertaining. Uh, I didn't want it to end because of uh, how entertaining it was. But yeah, those are the two next uh, teams that we'll play against. Frankfurt now in fifth place with 31 points. Um, we had Sebastian, uh, no, Bastian Roth, I think his name is, uh, at the... Um, first at the reverse fiction here before and he was basically talking about how Frankfurt are dysfunctional, how they're, you know, still, still no one really knows, um, what to make of the new coach and, and, you know, a couple of, you know, things here and there that weren't going so well. But now, um, from what sounded to be a very discoherent team now, uh, Frankfurt have absolutely turned it around and, I think look much better under Adi Hütter than they looked under uh, Niko Kovac. Is that fair to say? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, if I look at the remaining schedule for Dortmund, um, taking taking away the Bayern match, I think this is probably the most dangerous one that they have in the Bundesliga. Um, Frankfurt are very aggressive going forward. They play attacking football. I think they have some vulnerabilities defensively that Dortmund can exploit uh, because Adi Hütte isn't really focused on that side of the, the game as much as uh, Lucien Favre is. But uh, they are worlds better under Adi Hütte, also in terms of how they play and the positive nature in which they play versus the more reactive, physically robust style that they played under Niko Kovac. Yeah, and they right now have uh, three players that absolutely kill it. Uh, Ribic, Alea, and Jovic, which uh, they call the, the Büffelherde, the, I guess, Buffalo Heat, if you want to translate it literally. And, and those three players have very specific skill sets, 
um, and really um, yeah, supplement each other really well and complement each other really well in the way they play. And, and all three players can score goals out of complete nothingness. Um, I think people have been most impressed with, with uh, Jovic and, and uh, how how he has played so far just because he seems to be more yeah the the most rounded player of all of them most talented you know has incredible technique while Ante Rebic I, I think has a bit of a Erik Durm first touch sometimes but um, you know is to be reckoned with his, his shooting technique at least is really good and of course Sebastian Alea is a player I could very much imagine seeing in a Dortmund shirt and uh, not uh in, in a too distant future because he's a player that um, can really handle the ball well with the back to his goal. You know, there are shades of, of Robert Lewandowski in the qualities he brings to to Frankfurt and especially against um, a less robust centre-back like, for example, Julian Weigel. I think Alea will have a really easy day. So um, that's certainly something to think about and, and also a player that uh, I, I think has a really good finishing touch. So, um, yeah, as you said and described, it's certainly not going to be easy for uh, Dortmund in this game. But at the same time, Antrat Frankfurt won 3-1 against Freiburg in their first game. And while they uh, scored a couple of goals out of nothingness and had a couple more chances, uh, Freiburg really dominated for a very long time and were on the verge of, of coming back into this game. And uh, Bremen and Frankfurt was so interesting because um, there was no clear team that was dominant and at some point Bremen was uh, clearly the better team and deserved to win and then Frankfurt uh, battled back a little bit but um, while Frankfurt obviously as we just described this posed uh, a real threat especially at home um, I also can see that you know they're not the strongest team at the moment they, they used to be maybe throughout the middle of the first half of the season so what do you make of of this game who should Dortmund look out for um and maybe what should Lucien Favre tweak or or do or do to his lineup to answer the uh, questions that Frankfurt will ask I honestly wouldn't change that much I mean it's not like Dortmund play with an excessively high line um they you know we know how they play um uh, Lucien Favre is always mildly conservative. So I, I would say, you know, don't change a dang thing. Go out, play the way you've been playing for the previous 19 matches. And, uh, I feel confident that Dortmund can get the necessary three points. Well, here's the one thing I would maybe switch is if Zagadou can play, I would put him in, in, uh, into the lineup instead of Julian Vagel just because of the, uh, um, yeah, the physical um, component. That's if, maybe the, the one change yeah. I certainly would make. Um, but then again, I don't know how far Zagadou is, if he's fit and ready to play or not. So that I would say with a little question mark of, I'm not the coach and don't see what's going on in the training pitch. But um, if he's at 100% and maybe fit to play, I would uh, put him back in there. Not because uh, Julian Weigel was bad, but I, I just think if you want to defend against these guys... Um, the physical presence of Zagadou would would help certainly, um, but that's that's maybe the only thing I, I would do differently. Um, I actually like that uh, Delaney is not suspended for this game because, especially against Frankfurt, I, I think uh, having him in there is is uh, pretty helpful. 
And um, yeah, obviously Dortmund have a whole week to prepare for this game. So that's nice before the English week start again and Dortmund play then midweek games against Bremen and uh, Tottenham. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be a really fun game. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know if Dortmund will win this one. As you just said, it's very dangerous. Um, so um, yeah. Also, do you think? The legs of, of Pischek, if he can play and Schmelzer and Hakimi will be able to handle, uh, uh, Kostic, Philip Kostic, who often plays as a fullback and, and, uh, Danny Da Costa on the other side, who I, I think are, are doing quite well. And what do you make of, uh, Hasebe playing as a center back for, uh, Frankfurt quite successfully now for a couple of, uh, months, if not seasons? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I talked about how I'm surprised by how well Weigel is doing at center back. The save is right up there when it comes to, well, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, I didn't even see Kostic as a good fullback coming. I mean, granted, given that he's really fast, is good at putting in crosses, but can't score a goal to save his life, pretty much fulfills the role of a fullback rather than <laughs> an attacking winger. Um, <clears throat> no, I, I think our fullbacks, no matter who they are, can deal with what we're dealing with. Uh, Danny Da Costa is good. Um, but he's not, he's not the most technical fullback. So I think, um, as such, uh, he could be dealt with. Um, it's going to be an entertaining, high scoring match. I think both teams will score and score relative. No, I'm not going to say freely. I mean, it's not going to be like a, seven to six or something like that. But um, I I personally think Dortmund are going to win, but it's not going to be an easy win. It's going to be a little bit of a nail biter and not because Frankfurt are going to, you know, try to low block their way out of it. Adi Hütte will not do that. Um, and so I think it's going to be a very open attacking match, which is probably going to drive Favre a little bit crazy because <laughs> he wants a little bit more control. He hates it when it's that, as we in German say, offener Schlagabtausch, where it's just back and forth, back and forth. He wants a little more stability and control. Uh, but I'm afraid for Lucien Favre that this is probably going to be a little bit more of a, more of an open match than he's going to enjoy. Yeah, it's going to be pretty wild. Do you remember the uh, last time Dortmund traveled to Frankfurt with uh, Nelvin Zobotic and Julian Weigel as centre-backs at some point in there? And uh, I think that one ended 2-2 with Nuri Schein missing a last-second uh, open net goal. <laughs> Um, that could have nicked it. But um, that was a game where Dortmund were absolutely killed on the counter. Um, where again and again, um, yeah, Frankfurt just played in behind that, that center back, uh, you know, in behind the defense. And I think it was only thanks to Ante Rebic's horrible touch that prevented Dortmund from losing by like four or five or six goals, maybe. So, um, that's maybe a concern I wouldn't have as much this time around. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's more going to be a, a three to win than a, the you know shaky one uh, that Dortmund showed away to Leipzig, for example. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that game. I also really wonder um, if if Frankfurt will play Sebastian Rode in defensive midfield next to De Guzman or or uh, Gelson Fernandez. Um, so, yeah, it's it's probably going to be very. Um, a very robust battle, let's put it this way, with Delaney and uh, 
Witzel going up against a very robust uh, double pivot in, in, in Frankfurt. So, um, yeah, certainly something to look forward to. And, uh, I don't think Dortmund are, um, you know, in, in a place yet where they could afford a loss if, uh, you know, should Bayern win, but, because there is an ongoing title race and why, why ignore it when, when we finally have one? Um, Matthias Bayern Munich struggled certainly, um, in their 4-1 win against VfB Stuttgart. Um, maybe a bit of a similar story, only that I thought that Bayern struggled even more against Stuttgart than Dortmund struggled against Hanover in the first half when, uh, Stuttgart grabbed an equalizer and then had a couple more really good chances uh, where Manuel Neuer had to be on his toes. Um, so I don't know how much we've seen of Leverkusen now, but that's who Bayern play away to on the weekend. And I also don't see this as a foregone conclusion, uh, considering how Bayern have, have really struggled when they have been pressed by uh, both Hoffenheim and uh, Stuttgart so far. And I expect a Peter Bosch team to certainly do that and, and give them problems. So um, while we put our outlook on, on that Dortmund game, do you think that if Dortmund, you know, are in risk to drop points away to Frankfurt. Um, how do you assess Bayern's chances of dropping points away to Leverkusen? Um, even though Bayern are playing with confidence in the sense of they're they're winning serially at this point, I think this is the the one of those trap games for Bayern. Uh, they showed a lot of the <clears throat> excuse me frailties they had in the first half of the season against Stuttgart. Thankfully for them, it was Stuttgart and not a good side um and so it wasn't exploited as readily as it was in the first half of the season but i think Leverkusen definitely have the quality to exploit any of those opportunities and so i think there's a realistic chance that um you know bayern may not lose uh but a a draw i mean not winning is definitely um a very good good chance there for and that obviously if Dortmund can then win it opens it up even further at that point yeah, thanks for doing the math here. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think um, that both Dortmund and Bayern drop points this weekend is not too unrealistic. So um, let's see who will come out on top. Um, if Dortmund really win the first three games against Leipzig, Hanover and Frankfurt and take all nine points away from that, I think that's a massive feat and uh, should give them a huge boost because uh, I think these three fixtures all pose a certain difficulty in themselves Hanover maybe not so much but certainly Leipzig and Frankfurt and if you have these two games out of the way um, with a victory I think there is very little ahead that should uh, you know be be complicated for Dortmund obviously every game starts as 0-0 and all that we all know that but um if Dortmund really come away from the first nine points do you think that um, there are chances for the for really winning the whole thing is uh, are are uh, much better than they were at the um at the halfway point even though the the margin of 6 points might remain the same oh without a doubt i mean um i mean hannover aside but leverkusen and frankfurt uh, leverkusen leipzig and frankfurt were two of those question mark matches where you go, okay, now we'll we'll kind of see what Dortmund are really made of because obviously the teams are are more in flow now than they were the first time they met. Uh, you could say Dortmund got a little bit lucky in their first match against Leipzig. Um, they're better than Frankfurt in that that match, but 
yeah, these this definitely these are the matches that make champions. Um, you know, a very difficult away tie against Leverkusen. Uh, Leverkusen. Why do I always want to say Leverkusen? Leipzig. Um, and coming away with a 1-0. Uh, and then not slipping up when your concentration levels could have slipped up against Hannover. And then if they managed to get all three points against a very good Eintracht Frankfurt side, well, yeah, that's that's where champions are made. Yeah, and then I guess uh, after making predictions um, real quick, I, I think Dortmund will win it 3-2. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to go with a 3-2 as well. All right, yeah. So, uh, unanimous decision on the other pod yet again <laughs> about the uh, fortune of, of, of Borussia Dortmund. Then, of course, Dortmund's uh, host, Werder Bremen. I don't even know what day. I, I think it's the Tuesday, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, that's Certainly another fun game. I mean, it's it's a cup game, and uh, um, Dortmund so far have not managed to beat either Greuterfurt or Fortuna. Uh, was it was it Düsseldorf? Union Berlin. Union Berlin. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't know why I'm thinking of Düsseldorf. Um, without uh, going into uh, overtime. So that's that's certainly an interesting one, and uh, Dortmund obviously beat Werder Bremen so far um, with the two-one win at home. But I don't think that was the most convincing win ever. Um, while at the same time that was a phase where they were very low on energy and had to play very economical, let's put it this way, and and just uh, got the job done. If, if you will, and Bremen, yeah, well, they scored a ridiculous goal in the form of Max Kruse, but, um, yeah, also weren't all that dangerous. So do you expect a similar game as a 2-1 win that Dortmund had against Bremen in, I think, November or December? Um, or, or what are you expecting? Because Bremen hasn't changed all that much since they faced, uh, Max Kruse is still a very good player. Maximilian, uh, or Johannes, yeah, no, Maximilian Eggestein is still a very good player. Um, so is Johannes Eggestein, both actually. Um, and obviously, Klaassen, Bachfried is still playing in their midfield and Moisander and Langkamp are still there. Uh, centre-backs that I don't really rate that highly and August Sinson and Gabriel Selassie are okay, but not great fullbacks in, in my view. So um, a team that has aspirations this season to, to go to Europe but um yeah nothing more nothing less so so what do you make of Bremen and and their threat they pose in in the cup and maybe do you even want Dortmund to go far in the cup or do you think uh, maybe it would be nice if Bremen could lift that burden <laughs> I want to win every match I want to win every competition um so no of course I I I want Dortmund to go through and have a treble winning season of course um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, hey, it's as long as you're in the competition, right? Um, I think you know with Bremen, the funny thing is, um, given that it's not a league match, it, it it alleviates some of the pressure to a certain degree. You know, I mean, Bremen isn't expected to beat Dortmund. Dortmund is kind of expected to maybe make the final, so it's going to be a, a tough match that I think will also need more than ninety minutes. Yeah, I could see this being 1-1 after 90 minutes, to be honest. Um, it's, you know, both Frankfurt and Bremen are very tricky games for Dortmund. Especially with, with Bremen also maybe knowing 
you know what what to do what to do better this time um, than the last time. I think that can help. I I think um, their their coach is uh, very savvy in 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 what he does, even though he screams a little bit too often at the fourth official, as uh, seen against Frankfurt. But nevertheless, um, yeah, overall a very good team with with a lot of uh, wit on the sideline and uh we should not forget Nuri Shine is also someone who um you know closely observes what Dortmund are doing and uh hence probably has uh, a couple of ideas up his sleeve again for how how to get at them. Um I think the last time when when he played that wasn't too helpful for for Bremen's case even though he didn't play too too badly but I uh, also st still think that gave them a little bit of a disadvantage so this time around I would not expect Nuri Shine to play. So, um, yeah, but this is a midweek game and Dortmund will start their rotation machine at some point. So, um, do you see maybe a Christian Pulisic, a Jakob Brunlassen and so on and so forth playing in this game or, or even the, the Hood or so? Or do you think that, um, Lucien Favre will stick to his guns un until he feels inclined to, to rotate? Because the, the fixtures against Tottenham are not too far away either. You know, it's hard for me to really judge that because it seems like Lucien Favre isn't the biggest fan of rotation. Um, you know, there were times where we're like, well, he's got to give Royce a break now. I think that is the kind of match where Royce gets a break. Personally, I think Brunlassen comes in, you move Guerrero maybe centrally or Götze in behind or you start Paco Alcacer for 60 minutes, then bring in Götze. So I think he will rotate. I don't see... The double pivot getting rotated because it doesn't seem like he ever wants to do that. And obviously the back line is dictated by health at that point. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the three or the attacking four gets mixed up a little bit. I still expect Sancho to play, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Brun Larsen gets a start and <clears throat> maybe Max Maximilian Philipp. Uh, gets a start and Paco Alcacer gets a start as well. If Alcacer does not start against Frankfurt, then I'm pretty sure he will start against Bremen, to be honest. Um, because that will be, let's say, enough time for, for him to maybe, uh, recover fully. Um, because we must not forget Alcacer, um, with, uh, still dragging some injury through the winter camp was not really, um, at 100% to, um, go into, uh, the the start of the season, so it was not really much of a surprise that he is yet to start, and especially with Mario Götze playing the way he is, there's also not too much reason actually to drop to drop Götze, but at the same time you want to have Alcasa starting more games, so yeah, a tricky one for Favre, but that's that's what I expect, maybe a little bit of rotation, and I think because of that, um, this game will be decided in in uh, overtime, so uh, yeah. Yet again, Dortmund probably going 120 minutes. Who knows if, if uh, it will yield in penalties or not. So far, Dortmund have always managed to very closely avoid that. So we'll see what happens this time. But um, yeah, I, I think they're they're going to nick it in, in uh, overtime, especially because they will be handed a fourth substitution. And that's always an advantage for the better team. I think And Dortmund have a really good bench this season, which uh, yeah is undeniable. Especially if you then maybe bring on Jaden Sancho or so, even or Dahoud or whoever, um, that still can make a difference. I, I think there's enough options there, or even the Maximilian Philip can wreak havoc from the bench, especially when uh, center backs get a little bit tired 
and then uh, you know he gets a shooting op opportunity because his technique is excellent and every time there's an opening I feel like if he just pulls the trigger there's a very good chance of him scoring so um, yeah two great games to look forward to and uh, I must say I don't know about you Matthias but if we um, think about you know the great Bundesliga teams and great maybe rivalries or, or just fixtures that, that warm our heart Frankfurt and Bremer certainly uh top of that list while maybe Frankfurt uh, maybe uh, Leipzig and Hoffenheim not so much so um yeah just also from from terms in, in terms of atmosphere and stuff like that just uh, great fixtures yeah completely agree all right <laughs> anything uh, left that we we need to address or should we leave it at that and uh discuss then the results and, and preview the Tottenham game and whatnot uh, next next week. Who do Dortmund play in the Bundesliga after Frankfurt? I don't even know anymore. Hoffenheim are, are next up after that. So that's the Saturday 3.30 p.m. kickoff. So another difficult match. So and it's it's coming thick and fast for Borussia Dortmund. So uh, obviously there's going to be a lot to talk about after these two difficult matches and ahead of the Hoffenheim and uh, then Tottenham match coming a bit after that. Yeah, crazy how, how things are picking up. But I I think this is also like the the funnest time of the season really when you have uh, you know so many deciding games and. Uh, The whole season is, is already on a line uh, in, in one way or another. Um, so, yeah, but I've heard uh, that, that uh, Harry Kane and uh, I think Dela, Dela Ali also are already out for the, for the Tottenham game. Yeah, that's correct. They, they will definitely not play. And that's a huge bonus for uh, Dolan, even though Tottenham have had a few very difficult victories. They, you know, beating Watford the way they did was really big for them. Um, here just yesterday, day before yesterday, can't remember when we were recording this. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, uh, it's still not going to be easy, but no Harry Kane, no Deli Alley. Uh, you still have to deal with a son. Oh, yeah. uh, I want, wait, is he going to still be at the, no, he's back from Asian games. So never mind. Um, I just wandered because he missed a bunch of matches because of the Asian, Asia Cup matches or whatever we're going to call it these days. Um, but overall, you still have some very good players to deal with, just not necessarily <clears throat> a really good striker, but Christian Eriksen's still there. But again, that's, that's a topic for a different pod. <laughs> yeah. But as, as people can, can already hear, Matthias is a, a Tottenham fan and has a lot of things to say on that subject. But, uh, let's save that for later. And Matthias, please, uh, tell our listeners how to get in touch with you on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Matiasuk on Twitter, and um, I'm not even going to get into the whole Tottenham not signing anybody ever, ever again, <laughs> in a transfer window, ever again. All right, good. Um, you can find me <laughs> at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot. And of course, um, if you want to subscribe to the show, do that on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. And if you already do that, please leave a rating, which helps other people to find this show. So do that. And if you want to support us in, uh, in a more palpable way with the money and, and spread the cash and build the stacks at the Yellow Wall Pod, uh, headquarters, then, uh, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. 
And yeah, that's all from us for now for this week. Goodbye. <laughs>